0: Welcome to Trinity on Tap, the Old Testament, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. Paul Jones. 5.1. What is wisdom? Well, hello, and welcome back again to Trinity on Tap. This is an initiative from Trinity College Queensland, and you're listening to the Old Testament series, which 21 podcasts in total, looking at the whole Old Testament In the last podcast, we finished up on the theme of crisis with an overview of Job. Job sort of typifies the Bible's wisdom literature in the way that it invites its readers to a fuller experience of life and a fuller engagement with God. In this podcast, under the new heading of Calling, we're going to explore this idea of wisdom a little bit more. So, quick pop quiz. What are the five books of wisdom literature? Do you know? Can you guess? The funny thing is that they're all from different literary forms. We've got a story in there. We've got a bunch of songs. We've got a bit of erotic poetry. We've got a collection of proverbs and we've got some cynical sort of reflections on life. So the story is Job, as you may have guessed. The songs are Psalms. The erotic poetry, that's right, Song of Solomon. The collection of proverbs is for some reason called Proverbs, and the Cynical Reflections, that's Ecclesiastes. So already we have an interesting insight there about the nature of wisdom. See, wisdom covers all these different literary forms in much much the same way that wisdom stems from all of life and relates to all of life from our cynicism, from our proverbs, our attempts to summarise the way things are, from our erotic poetry, from our songs and our stories. Wisdom permeates and soaks through everything and emanates from all of life. But what is wisdom? Before we talk about it for too long, we should probably stop for a second and say, what is wisdom? How would you define wisdom? Go on. Wherever you are, say it out loud. (laughs) Unless you're on a packed train or something, that might not be wise. But how would you define wisdom? Wisdom is... Now, some make a distinction between knowledge and wisdom, so that knowledge is information and wisdom is the practical application or the doing of that knowing. I had a student in the UK, I remember about five years ago, uh, who articulated this quite nicely. She, She said that knowledge is the awareness that a tomato is a fruit and wisdom is knowing not to put a tomato in a fruit salad. And you may have heard that, but I thought that was quite a clever summary because it nicely captures the distinction between information and the application or the use of that information. Perhaps a more relevant example, though, would be the distinction between someone who studies the Bible and someone who, you know, can cite you verses on anything, chapter and verse. But then when you look at that person and how they relate to other people, They don't appear to have really digested that knowledge in such a way that they embody the truths that they talk about so easily. We wouldn't necessarily call that person wise because although they're knowledgeable, they don't seem to use their knowledge in their everyday living. Some of the other ways that people define wisdom, some say it's just all about maintaining balance in life. You know, there's so much going on all the time in our lives, isn't there? There are all these different dimensions to us as human persons. And you can see that on the PDF. We've got a physical, spiritual, sexual, emotional, psychological, intellectual sides to us. And if somehow we can maintain a sense of balance in all of that, then we're probably doing all right. We're probably living wisely. Um, You know, while we're on this, by the way, let me just say, I always find it interesting when when someone says, I'm not as spiritual as so-and-so or I'm more sexually driven than my partner, or my, my work friends seem a lot more emotional than I am. And what's interesting to me about those sort of comments is that we're all human, we all share our basic humanity, and therefore we are all physical beings, we're all spiritual beings, sexual beings, emotional and psychological and so on. But if one person goes to the gym four times a week, that doesn't make them more physical, It just means that they are prioritizing their physical well-being. If someone else goes to church twice on Sunday, that doesn't mean they're more spiritual. It just means that they're prioritizing their spiritual health. A third person goes to a psychologist every month. Does that mean that they're more psychological than you? (laughs) Of course not. They're just prioritizing their psychological health and probably their emotional awareness. And the point is that these are all good things. It's good to go to the gym, good to go to church, good to see a psychologist. The challenge is keeping them all in balance. There's nothing wrong with being healthy in all those ways. And so I think that's why some people would define wisdom as that maintaining of balance. It's very hard to do in a world that's moving as fast as ours. Now, others would say, you know, a person is wise because of the decisions they make. We all make decisions every day, some big, some small, but the wise person makes good judgments in every context. And I think there's definitely truth to that as well. You can measure a person's wisdom by looking at the decisions that they've been making. Another element of wisdom that I don't think gets as much attention is our human capacity to wonder. I think there's a wisdom in looking around us at the incredible complexity of the world that we inhabit and experiencing wonder. The wisdom literature doesn't explicitly tell us to develop our capacity for wonder, not in those words, but a lot of the observations and truths that are expressed in the wisdom literature, they refer to the natural world and to patterns in space and time that come directly from us taking time to ponder the beauty of creation, the depths of the human heart, the philosophical and theological questions that make us completely unique as human beings. So I think the capacity to wonder is also important. And finally, one definition that I heard more recently that that I like is just, wisdom is the application of truth to life. Wisdom is the application of truth to life. For me, that's a good definition because it holds together a whole bunch of these ideas that we're talking about. Application, recognizing truth, and applying it to life. Now, you could study wisdom from a psychological or scientific point of view. You could look at it historically, from a Greek or Roman perspective, for example. But our interest here is in biblical wisdom literature, and therefore we're looking at a Hebrew understanding of wisdom, which has in turn informed a Christian view of wisdom. Which leads us back again to these five books, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. So, it just so happens that three of these books define wisdom uh, in the same kind of a way. So that might be a good place for us to start. Let me read you some verses. Job 28 verse 28 says, Truly, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Proverbs 9 verse 10 says exactly the same thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, these verses all equate wisdom with the same thing, right? With the fear of the Lord, which raises another question for us. What does it mean to fear the Lord? You may have noticed this verse at the beginning of Job when we were looking at it too. If you had a look uh, at the, in the last podcast at Job 1 verse 1. I skipped over it there because I was pressed for time. But Job is described in the first verses as a man who feared God and turned from evil. Now, the first thing to know about this or to say about this is that the fear of the Lord is not referring to your emotional state before God. To fear God in the Old Testament is not to live in terror and fear and trembling, that God is going to strike you down at any turn. It's best summarized, perhaps, as a response to God that treats him as Lord. So the fear of the Lord is a response to God that treats him as Lord. So the fear of the Lord, it's not an emotional state. It's a it's a Hebrew phrase or an idiom, a phrase that comes out of a particular culture and language, that refers to a relationship with God that treats him as Lord because it treats him in awe or reverence. Now it's kind of, I think of it as a, a movement two ways. When, when you fear the Lord, you're compelled to move towards God, but at the same time it causes you to stand back in awe. If you can think of that tension, you're compelled to move towards God, you're drawn to God, but at the same time, you stand back in awe and wonder. And I know that sounds a bit contradictory, but I think it captures well what a right response to God feels like. There's a sense in which we're just overwhelmed with wonder, and there's another sense in which we want more, and we press into God. It's sort of a response of of worship and obedience. It's a relational term for sure. So Abraham embodies wisdom, or he acts wisely, when he acts in faith and trusts Yahweh with his life, as we looked at earlier, when he sets out from the city of Ur. Josiah was acting wisely when he hears the word of the Lord, read to him from the law of Moses, and he decides that action is in order. He's going to do something about the things that he's read. When he gathers the troops and sets off to destroy places of false worship, he leads the whole people towards true worship, and that's wise. When Job encounters injustice, but he refuses to give up speaking to God in the midst of his pain, he is also embodying wisdom. He's showing us what the fear of the Lord looks like. So those are some examples of the ways that we've seen the fear of the Lord in this podcast series in Abraham in uh, Josiah and in Job. Now, each of those figures is wise. Why? Because they act on their faith in God. They demonstrate the fear of the Lord by showing their allegiance to him in their life decisions. They don't just sit around on a cushion saying, I fear the Lord and I'm wise because of that. The, The decisions they make and the actions that they undertake are definitely wise. But more than that, wisdom can also be seen as a divine quality that humans can embody. So far, we're just looking at humans doing things well or right, and we think, ah, so it's just a matter of getting it right, and anyone can be wise. And in one sense, that's true. But from a Christian point of view, wisdom is also a divine quality that we can embody. We're invited to embody it. And I think that idea is maybe best expressed in Proverbs. You've got this figure. Uh, Her name is Lady Wisdom. And Lady Wisdom is the personification of wisdom. She's described in Proverbs 8 as a female figure who stands in the streets and in the gates of the city, and she calls out to people who are passing by. She says, To you, O people, I call, and my cry is to all that live. O simple ones, learn prudence. Acquire intelligence, you who lack it. Hear. For I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. And so it goes, and she keeps speaking. She's a fascinating character who invites us, you and me, to listen to her instruction and to follow it. But as she goes on speaking, she starts to say some unexpected things as well. Things like this, in verse 23, Ages ago I was set up, at the first, before the beginning of the earth. In verse 27, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. verse 30, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worker, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race. So wisdom was there in the beginning. It sounds a lot like John 1, doesn't it? The first chapter of John in the New Testament. John one one says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So that's an exciting invitation, isn't it? Do you see what's happening here? Lady Wisdom standing in the streets inviting us to put her words into action. The very wisdom of God through which God made the world is also depicted as one who calls out to you and me, inviting us to live lives that embody wisdom, that embody and enflesh the nature of God. Make that wisdom that character incarnate. So as you think about wisdom and as you think about living wisely, I invite you not just to think about it as a human quality. It's not just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and doing better, being more balanced, being more clever, putting the things that you've learned into action. It's more than that. It's a divine quality that you are invited or even commanded to make known to the world. So if we think back to Deuteronomy 4.6 that we looked at previously when we were considering the purpose of obedience, let me read you that verse again. There Moses says, you must observe these laws diligently for this will show your wisdom and discernment to the peoples who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and discerning people. All right, before the next podcast, have a think about this. Do you consider yourself wise? Do you consider yourself wise? And maybe a more personal question. What aspects of God's character does God make known through you? I want you to think positively about that. What aspects of God's character does God make known through you? Okay, see you soon. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.